um, give out those little sheets today because there's some very important applications I want to make from this morning's message. Um, personal applications, challenges. And in a way, it's very easy to receive a challenge in your head and not do much about it. So by having something to write down, that may just embed it. This Wednesday, we had a time at our house and we looked at some words to do with Christmas. And uh, they're all very traditional. But here's one of the biggest words of Christmas time. And it's actually the word servant. It's the word servant. It's uh, rather remarkable to see just how frequently within the Christmas story the Bible writers are very anxious and careful to describe the various characters in servant language. Gabriel's an interesting case. Gabriel the angel, when he appears to Zechariah, and Zechariah rather questions what this is all about. And Gabriel, as it were, almost draws himself up to his full height and says, I'm Gabriel. I stand at the right hand of God. And the angels are described in the book of Hebrews as ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, which was exactly what Gabriel was doing when he appeared to both Zachariah and to Mary. He was serving the Lord in that way. And so Mary responds in that way, I am the Lord's servant. Greater than all, greater than all of these is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the servant par excellence. The one who has prophesied as the servant of the Lord. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, please turn to that with me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, striking thought, isn't it? When he came into the world, the world that he had made, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. The servant heart of Jesus. On the screen from the book of Philippians, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. The followers of Jesus Christ have this same mark about them. Absolutely inevitable. This is exactly what we are called to be. They are the servants of God. So the Apostle Paul describes himself 
in exactly that language as he writes to Titus. He says, Paul, a servant of God. If being a servant of God is the universal mark of the Christian, we do well, we do well to look again at the start of this new year to our life description as lovingly given to us by our Heavenly Father. But before we dive in, I thought it might be good just to consider this thought. How does being a servant as a Christian fit with being a, a child or a son? Because that language is also used, isn't it? That we're not only servants of God, but we're also children. Are those two thoughts in conflict in some way? I think we must say that these two ideas actually come together and ought never to be separated. If we were just servants, we might think that we would do, just do the job without choice and doing perhaps the bare minimum. But we're not just servants, we are sons and that changes everything. So we serve gladly and willingly and cheerfully. Our service of God must always be marked by the gratitude and willingness of those who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But still, it is service and it is obedience because that is exactly right and fitting for those who have been made in the image of God to serve the God who has made us. I thought of a rather inadequate picture of this as last week I uncovered some tape recordings that I'd made of my father when he was in his early 80s. I just sat down with him one day with other members of the family and I just spoke with him and asked him about his life really lovely to come across the recordings again and to sort of hear his voice and um, when he was growing up in London there was a kind of a family retainer you know what a retainer is a sort of a somebody who's sort of linked with the family and this was Nanny Nanny had come into his life at a very early age and she was a paid employee inside the family but actually, she was like a member of the family as well. So much so that she never stopped being part of the family and she was looked after to the day she died. And she had that sort of lovely relationship in the family of being both a servant and a sort of family member. So close to the family. So close to her employer in a way. So I don't think we should, it would be very unhelpful for us to draw a distinction between those two words. Now we're going to go into the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3 because that reminds us that God's people have always had this mark about them, even 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus. And uh, the early chapters of Samuel are 
extremely eloquent and helpful pictures and descriptions for us of what it means to be a servant of God and to have a servant's heart. So let me give you some background and I'll give you a picture as we, we do so because Samuel is an extremely visual book and so on the screen you have in the background Eli, the old priest and, and there is the boy Samuel and his mother Hannah. So if you're not familiar with the story let me just give you a brief resume of how this goes and this is in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. It's a time of some spiritual poverty in the land of Israel. There is worship, but it's spoiled and corrupted. The chief priest, Eli, is old and he's indecisive. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are actually running affairs and in a very disgraceful way, practicing sexual immorality and extortion in an open fashion. And Eli does too little too late. The sons are out of control. Fathers, we have a particular responsibility to set boundaries for our sons, our children. And Eli stands as a big warning of somebody who failed to do that until it was too late. There were some who have stayed faithful and kept going, but with difficulty. And Hannah is one of these people. She's childless, just like Elizabeth was later childless. And goaded by her husband's other wife, she is driven to distraction so that the times in the spiritual year, which should have been really high points of gladness and happiness, were actually for her times of trauma, distraught misery. But she's a servant of God. So has learnt in her most desperate times to pour out her soul's distress to God. And I pause just to say, how about you and me? In times of emotional trauma and distress, where we could feel absolutely distraught, what a healthy example Hannah sets before us. She pours out her spirit to God. She prays for a son, and the God who hears prayer hears Hannah and gives her this son. His name is Samuel, which might mean asked of God. According to her promise to God, she dedicates him completely to the service of God. And that prompts me to ask, have you ever promised God something? And have you actually fulfilled that promise? She prays a prayer of thanksgiving that sounds remarkably like that of Mary's and Zachariah's. Eli's wicked sons continue to create spiritual mayhem, ignore their father's rebuke, and eventually, with their father's lack of action, bring God's judgment on their entire family. Meanwhile and quietly, Samuel grows and learns God has plans for the young boy. So parents, what plans does God have for your children? It's healthy to think about that. Healthy to pray that they would do what God has planned for them. So we come to chapter 3. The scene is set. 
Then the Lord called <clears throat> Samuel. First, the gift of hearing. Speaking surely of the Messiah, Psalm 40, verse 6 says, My ears you have opened. The gift of hearing. God spoke. Samuel heard the voice of God for the first time. He heard God speaking to him, but in the beginning, he didn't know that it was God. He thought it was Eli, the priest. And so he goes to Eli, and Eli says, go and lie down, go and lie down. I haven't called you. And you, you recall the story. It happens twice, doesn't it? And then Eli recognizes what's been going on. It's a very special moment in young Samuel's life. He was hearing the voice of God for the first time. And we read that very clearly in verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And uh, I take great theological comfort from that particular phrase because I think it tells all of us that all of our children have got to come to know the Lord. That it isn't an automatic just being born into a Christian family does not make you a Christian, does not make you a servant of God. Samuel had to hear the voice of the Lord for himself. And he did. And this was a gift from God. It was a gift in two ways. <clears throat> Firstly, because in those days, we read in verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. It was, in fact, a time of judgment when God had effectively distanced himself from his people and was not speaking to them. So it was a very precious thing that happened to that young boy. And he was young. We don't know exactly, but probably preteen, 10, 11. God spoke. How did God speak in those pre-Bible days? It's interesting that verse 1 talks about visions. And uh, there's a similar verse later on that also speaks about um, visions. You might think there must have been some sort of sign, something he saw. That's our idea of vision. But actually... Most of this chapter is about a call from God, a voice that was heard. So verses 4, 6, 8, 10, 11, and 17 are all talking about the fact that God spoke. Something was heard, and it was not just any voice, but it was the voice of the Lord. Eli knew what was happening and was wise enough to tell Samuel what to do when he next heard the voice. It's a gift that God should speak. It's a tragedy, and it occurs in Old Testament times when the word of the Lord is rare. You and I might think, well, that's not true today because actually almost everybody here in this room is holding a Bible in their hands. And that is a fantastic gift. 
that you have a Bible and it's in your own language. You can read it for yourself and the word of the Lord is there. And that is a great gift. But of course, it's not so much of a gift if the book stays closed. And there's something more than having words on a page. How many messages have been spoken over the Christmas period in this country? Even over the airwaves. How many words have been said? Even Bible words have been said. And God can certainly use that because it is his word. But before every service that takes place here, you'll notice that elders and others go into the back room there. And the prayer that we pray, the prayer that we pray is that God will be present with us by his spirit. Almost every Sunday, that's the prayer we pray. Not just to have the words on the page, but to hear the voice of God. <clears throat> God spoke to Samuel in a way that in the end became unmistakable. I'm sure this is the sort of thing that the early apostles were looking for and expecting when they met together. <clears throat> sure this is what the Apostle Paul was referring to when, when he speaks to the Galatian Christians, these people who are wandering away, and he's saying, I just want you to remember, remember when we came amongst you, and when you first heard the preaching of God's word, and I want you to remember, especially that day, when I spoke to you about the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified. And there's a reference here in Galatians 3 verse 1. This is what he says. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Oh, that was a day. <laughs> that was a day. When the people heard, perhaps for the first time, about this saviour. And the words were spoken. But it was more than words. They recognised what was happening. They saw what had taken place upon that cross. Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. As if they had been there. And such happens when the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and applies it to our hearts. Or as he says to the Thessalonian Christians in another setting, he looks back with great fondness and gladness as he realises that the Holy Spirit was in that time when he spoke to the Thessalonians and he says, because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. Is that your prayer when you come to church on a Sunday morning? 
I think it should be. I think it should be all our prayer. That the word should not come to us in word only, but in power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. And we should look forward to that and have an expectancy. And not be satisfied, if I could put it that way. Not be satisfied with less than what God appears to offer to us. May this be the experience of Calvary Church in 2017. May this be our experience. Because we need to hear the word as it comes from the living God. But there's a second aspect to the gift of God to Samuel. He was able to hear God's voice and to hear it as God's voice this was a spiritual gift this is a spiritual gift and it is the gift of God alone you and I cannot hear God's voice properly until God gives us the gift of spiritual hearing there's an interesting chapter in the gospel of John John chapter 8, verse 43. Where Jesus is addressing, verse 31, Jews who had believed him. These were not opponents, antagonists, people against Jesus. These were people who wanted to follow him. In some way, they were attracted to Jesus. But it's quite clear as Jesus begins to speak to them that they don't get what he's saying. So he says to them in verse 43, why is my language not clear to you? Why is my language not clear to you? Now think of that. If there was ever a moment in human history when the Holy Spirit of God was present... If there was ever a moment when a word of God was spoken by a preacher that was absolutely pure, straightforward, direct, every word fitly given, if ever that moment occurred, it was when Jesus was upon earth and speaking his word to people. But Jesus says to these people, these people who are in the presence of the Son of God, the one from heaven who always says the things that his Father wants him to say, he says of those people, why is my language not clear to you? They didn't get it. Because, he says, you are unable to hear what I say. You are unable to hear what I say. And that's the, that's the human condition. That's the position of every single one of us. Because we are fallen. We are born in sin. We are born with deafness. Spiritual deafness. 
so that we cannot hear the things of God. That's exactly what happened then, exactly what happens now. So there can be days and there will be days, God willing there'll be days when the Holy Spirit falls on this place in a most powerful way. And may God grant that you be present at that time so that you would be able to say at that time, the Holy Spirit was present. I was hearing God's voice. And you might turn to your neighbor and you'd say, and they might say, I don't know what you're talking about. Same place, same spirit, same, same atmosphere, if you like. But the person says, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's a sadness, and that's a pity, and that's a shame. And it tells us that we have to get spiritual hearing from God. And it's a gift that only he can, only he can give. And if you're a Christian today, you have received the gift of spiritual hearing. And if you have members in your family and friends and work colleagues and neighbours who are not in that place, and yet they've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the prayer is, Lord, please open their ears to hear. We need God's powerful work by his spirit to be able to receive God's word into our lives. But it's also possible that we might be like the Jews who somehow believed Jesus but at the same time were unable to understand what he said because their spiritual ears were still blocked. There's a frightening passage in chapter 2 here where we read of Eli going back to his sons who undoubtedly were schooled in the things of God, been brought up within the tabernacle. They knew all about everything to do with the ways of God, highly privileged because of that. But because they had run amok, their lives were out of control and they had got so used to their sinfulness, it says that when Eli spoke to them, They ignored him. They ignored him. He spoke strongly to them. It is not right what you're doing. They ignored him. Because not only had they been born with spiritual deafness, but their spiritual deafness had got worse and worse and worse by their failure to respond to the word of God. And so they got to a place where it says... Not only were they like that, but that was part of God's judgment upon them for their sinfulness, that they could not hear. And that's a very awesome and a frightening thought, isn't it? To be coming to Calvary Church Sunday by Sunday, but not hearing the word of God. What is it doing to your spiritual hearing? It's a good prayer for all of us to pray. Let us make sure and challenge one another, continue to be reading our Bibles and attending the teaching and preaching of God's word. These are good habits.
let us be much in prayer that when we read our Bibles and hear God's word preached, that it will be with the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit and, and that God would give us spiritual hearing. So I ask a question of all of us today. What do you do before you start reading the Bible? And what do you do before you come to church? Because every time we meet is an opportunity to either hear or to find our hearing blocked more. I don't want to be in the latter place. I want to hear God's voice. An attitude of readiness is our second point. Jesus himself says, here I am. That was his attitude. I've come to do your will. An attitude of readiness. The heart of a servant. Religious experience has always been fascinating. During the times of revival, there were always people who were absolutely fascinated by what was going on. They used to come to hear the preachers of the time. There were people who would sort of flock out from the theatres of London to hear George Whitfield speak because they were so impressed by his oratory. Where did you get that skill? There was a character in the book of Acts who wanted to buy whatever power the apostles had. But these aren't the hearers that God is seeking. He's not to be served by thrill seekers or the just interested. To have a servant heart is to be personally willing to listen to what God has to say because of our relationship with him. Not as equals or observers, but as he as the Lord and we as his servants. How do we get spiritually tuned to hear the voice of God? Many religions do it by noise, excitement, atmosphere, stirring the emotions. But I think we can learn something from Samuel's example here in 1 Samuel chapter 3. It was night time. And Eli says to Samuel, when, when he realizes what's going on, he says to Samuel, just go and lie down. Just go and lie down. And do you know what was happening at that precise moment? As Samuel lay down, the lamp in the tabernacle was flickering. Do you know what's happening? Dead quiet. It was quiet. Absolute stillness. It was quiet. Samuel was waiting and he was quiet. There was space. There was readiness. Think of Gabriel again, attending on the Lord, waiting, waiting to hear what God would say to him. In a noisy world, our hearts and minds can be noisy and God's voice may be just one of many, our own included, clamoring for attention. might be a good thing for us to be still. And when we open our Bibles, when we open our Bibles, just, just, just be still. And there was then a straightforward request. This is what Eli told him to say, and that's exactly what he said. He says, 
speak, Lord. The first thing to hear, the first thing to hear what God has to say. We have, all have our concerns and agendas, but it's an important and profound reality for us that our first request is that God would speak to us. And I want you to notice also there was personal attention. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Samuel's waiting for God's personal voice to him. What has God to say to me? As it happened, God had something to say to Samuel that was not about him at all. But the message was delivered to him. He was the one person who was privileged to hear God's voice in a very personal way. So I'll make a simple application of this and to say, as you face the new year, are you willing to set aside your personal agendas and plans and pray that, like Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And thirdly, the practice of obedience. Jesus himself says, I have come to do your will. Here's the third aspect of a servant heart. Verse 11 we read, And the Lord said to Samuel, The Lord said to Samuel. And what God had to say to Samuel was really quite surprising. It was an announcement of what God intended to do in judgment upon Eli and his family. Something that would be both a personal tragedy for Eli and the family, but also something of immense national interest and significance. So just think of it. Here's a young lad, 10 or 11 years old, hearing personally, directly, uniquely of specific acts of God which would affect the spiritual nation. This is the first clear word of God to Samuel. It's extraordinary, isn't it, to think of that? What would you say to a 10-year-old lad? What would God say to a 10-year-old lad? What was the first thing he would say to that, that lad? Something cosy and comfortable and familiar. But God knew what he was doing. Because Samuel had been prepared. In his life he'd been prepared. He'd been prepared for that point when he first heard the word of the Lord. So God knew what he was doing and he knew that when he was going to say that word to Samuel that Samuel would be able to receive it and to do something with it it was a desperately sad message wasn't it Eli had been Samuel's father figure and spiritual mentor the two of them had a very close bond and the first thing God has to say to Samuel is a message of judgment on this man what a sadness what a burden what an embarrassment did he wonder if he'd just been dreaming doesn't appear so it says he lay down until morning he lay down until morning seems unlikely that he slept turning over and over the message that God had given him what was he to do with this information to listen yes He'd done that to remember, he couldn't hardly forget, 
but God had not told him what to do with the information. It required a human and providential prompt. Eli, as God knew and planned, put Samuel out of one misery and into another. What was it he said to you, says Eli? And at this point, Samuel might well have softened the blow, but Eli put him under a severe obligation to tell everything, and he did. So we read in verse 18, you can read it there. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. That was the moment of Samuel's first act of obedience to God's personal voice message to him. Thrown into the deep end, but God knew what he was doing. He knew how Samuel had been prepared. He knew that he was up for the first challenge. A clear statement in this passage that obedience to God is seldom straightforward or easy. But it was the beginning of a life that would be marked from beginning to end by wholehearted obedience. In contrast to the half-heartedness of the nation and tragically the man they called to be their king, Saul. A man of great spiritual giftedness but defective obedience. And so we read in verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. It's a lovely picture. This lad obeyed the Lord. When God spoke to him, he obeyed the Lord and he did exactly what God wanted him to do at that time with that information. And that, as it were, set the standard for the rest of his life. So all the things that we find in Samuel's first act of obedience get played out in the history of that man and the nation. When the nation was wandering far from God, it was Samuel who stood firm. When they were being half-hearted, it was Samuel who called them back to wholehearted obedience. It isn't sufficient to hear God's voice or even to hear it with a good heart and sincerity. God speaks to us so that we may do something with what he tells us. How much has God said to you that you have quietly shunted away or glossed over or left for a more convenient time? So I'll make some applications here and this is where you might need a piece of paper. So here we are on the first day of 2017 and most of your faces I know and I know you've been here many times and I know you've heard God's word many times and I know you've had the privilege of hearing it quite clearly spoken many times and if you are like me you have also heard God speaking to you about specific acts of obedience and if you are like me you also know what it is to actually shunt some areas of obedience to another time. A better time, when I'm in a better frame of mind. But I don't think really God gives us that option and opportunity. So here are some thoughts on a screen and they're completely random. 
but they're necessary. They're necessary for you to be following up on. And maybe you'll find yourself in one of these, or at the very end, there'll be a space. But it's for you to actually, because you know what it is that God's been challenging you about in your life. So wouldn't it be wonderful today if somebody here was to take a step of reliance upon God's son, Jesus Christ, as the only one who can save you from your sin, provide complete forgiveness and bring you into the family of God? Wouldn't that be a wonderful moment? May God grant that it will be. Or perhaps if you've been wandering far from God, for you to rededicate yourself again and to say there's no other way no other saviour, no one else I'm going to trust in. Or perhaps you should be publicly declaring this by personal baptism and becoming an active member of the church family by committing yourself as a church member. So please don't put that off. It's on the screen, but you can write it down. Because maybe you should be doing that. Maybe you should be joining regularly with your spiritual brothers and sisters at the Lord's Supper. And it was good to see a number of folk here today. But we could see double that number. It's a precious part of our family life together. It's an act of obedience. Do this in remembrance of me. Or maybe we should be obeying the first commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse 1. And not having any other gods in your life but the one God. What idols are trying to sit on the throne that belongs to God? We've all got that. We're all facing that. Or maybe we should be confessing all known sin to God rather than excusing it, trying to cover it up and living with it as an uncomfortable family member. Or maybe we should be giving ourselves, yourself, to whatever work of service God wants you to do. Maybe to continue or to start with something anew. It says at the very end of Samuel's life, he just went around on the circuit. He just went around on the circuit judging. He just did his job to the very end of his days. He started as a young man. He was still in harness when he died, still judging, still granting wisdom, still doing what God had called him to do. Or maybe it's something new. Great to be talking to someone before the service and saying, I didn't think I'd ever be doing this. Most of us don't think we can be doing the things that we haven't done before. <laughs> I think it's a big risk. It probably is a risk. But if it's the thing that God's called you to do, then he'll give you the grace and the wisdom and the strength to do it. Or maybe there's an unhelpful relationship which needs to be broken. Because that relationship is, keeps on stopping you getting properly close to the Lord. There's many a Christian life that's just been completely shipwrecked by an unhelpful relationship. 
the other day? I was having this last night. The verger goes off with someone from the church. What? These things are happening inside the church of Jesus Christ. You can be obsessed and consumed by a relationship that is just completely supplanting the place of Jesus Christ in your life. Deliberately planning a more spiritual relationship with your life partner or close Christian friend in conversation, spiritual reading, prayer, priorities and decisions. So I'd like to challenge all of us today. If you have the privilege of being able to to be with somebody else, sharing your life with them, well, may the Bible be present in that life. May you be reading your Bibles together and being able to pray together. You might say, oh, I just find that pretty embarrassing to do that. But it's worth having a go. It's worth trying to do that. It's a real blessing to get into that habit, I would suggest. Maybe you've got a non-Christian partner and I'm going to bravely suggest to you, you might say to them one day, do you know what? Do you know what? Is it possible we could just maybe read a verse from the Bible? Well, I know for a fact that there's that situation occurring in this church at this time. Where two people, surprisingly, are reading a Bible together. Why not? God could so speak through that. Or asking God for the grace and courage to do whatever he wants you to do. Because you'll know dot, dot, dot at the bottom, whatever it is God's calling you to do. And so here we come to the end of the message. But of course it isn't the end. Because no message actually has an end until there's obedience. So that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge of this word this morning. Because 1 Samuel 3 didn't just end with the Lord saying to Samuel. But it came to a very solid conclusion when Samuel put into practice what God had told him to do. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Just have a moment of quiet. And if there's anything that God is talking to you about and telling you about, then that's between you and the Lord. But you might just want to drop that down and make your commitment to him because you're his servant. You're his child and you're his servant. And he calls you to a life of willing, glad, sacrificial obedience. Heavenly Father, please look upon us in your mercy and kindness today. We are frail and weak. We sometimes have good intentions, but just don't ever carry them out. So we ask for your forgiveness for that. And we thank you so much for this day of grace, this day of a new opportunity, a fresh start. We thank you so much that you can cleanse us from all our sin however deep and bad and ashamed of it we might be, 
We thank you so much that you can cleanse us from our sin. And we thank you so much for the gift of your Holy Spirit given to us that we might live for you. Gladly, willingly live for you. Help us to do that individually in our homes, in the places where you have put us and in this church so that the light of Christ might be seen in us in all we do and say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.